coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss Dutch Bangla Bank suffers from withdrawal symptoms. Next up, I squid you not. Squid servers vulnerable to code execution and DOS attacks. And finally, BEC easy as one, two, three. Portland Public Schools expect to recover 2.9 million. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 24, recorded on August 26th, 2019. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, give them a pun for their money, LaBelle. With me, co-host Tim, short-timer, Helming, more on that later. And last, but not least, Turbo, that's my maiden name, Conwell. Well done, Turbo. That's great to be here, thanks. (laughs) We're very excited to have you on as our special guest. Indeed. It's nice to have Tim back as well. Hi, people. It's good to be back. We have some sad news and happy news at the same time. So this will be Tim's last official podcast here at Breaking Badness as the Curtain Knob. But we'll do unofficial ones, I guess. Yes. Bootlegs, something like that. A hundred percent bootlegs. Yep, definitely. You can download them on LimeWire. We'll throw back there. (laughs) But we're going to make this I'll post them on my MySpace page. Oh, if only we had all those recordings from the last 10 years, but they were lost sad. Anyway, we're going to make this our best podcast ever to honor Tim Helming, who's just the best. And we're so lucky to have you on here, Tim. And we appreciate all Stop that you've done Stop making me blush over here. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Let's get right into it today. So the first article we're going to be talking about is Dutch Bangla Bank suffers from withdrawal symptoms. So silence um, an APT, not an instruction for all of you, is a Russian-speaking cybercriminal group known for targeting financial organizations primarily in former Soviet states and neighboring countries is now aggressively targeting banks in more than 30 countries across America, Europe, Asia, and Africa. So, Tim, for starters, what is known about this particular group and how long have they been active? Do they have uh, some sort of MO? Well, silence appears to have been around for about three years or so, and they seem to have grown in sophistication and reached pretty quickly over that time. IB Group, who wrote a a great report on these uh, folks on this group, noted that they did make some rookie moves at the beginning, but they've been upping their game since then, as we'll uh, see a little bit later. Basically, though, uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, this is a financial crime group. And uh, as you said, they started off targeting Russian and former Eastern Bloc countries' banks. But since they've grown up in the world, uh, they've expanded their operations to Latin America and Asia and Europe. There's not much activity in North America that we're aware of, um, although there might be a connection between Silence and another actor group called TA505, which is also another uh, Russian-speaking actor group. And if they are connected, then that means there's also been some activity in the U.S. uh, as well. And as of today, according to IB Group, they've tallied up over $4 million in ill-gotten gains. So we don't like them very much. But we do like their name because it sounds so ridiculous. When you say silence has been around for three years, I think it's, it's been around for longer, maybe. Actually, you know, these days with uh, uh, how hectic everything is and digital and everything, I think silence doesn't exist anymore. I think silence has been gone for at least three years. There you go. I wonder if, if that's longer. what inspired them. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you find silence around here? Other than 
in ATMs. <laughs> well, thank you for that background, Tim, on the group. And can you provide some details on their more recent campaign? Well, they've uh, stepped up their activities in various places, as I mentioned, but uh, really in particular, they're slamming Asia, uh, especially hard these days. And they're newing, using uh, some new and improved tools, including a total rewrite of their first stage loader module. So these guys are, are learning from their uh, earlier attempts. I won't even necessarily say mistakes because they haven't gotten caught or busted or anything like that. They've just gotten more effective at uh, what they're doing than they used to be. Absolutely. And uh, Group IB, who you referred to earlier, Tim, is a Singapore-based cybersecurity firm. And they recently released a report, which is the one we're referring to in this podcast, on the group, Silence. And they highlighted that it's updating and evolving their TTPs, which you just alluded to, Tim. So what are some tools, tactics, and procedures being used by this group? Uh, So about the TTPs of Silence, like so many actor groups, these guys seem to start in a lot of cases with phishing. Um, Their recon, reconnaissance emails, uh, are kind of interesting. They don't actually have a malicious payload. But what they use those recon emails for is to give them a list of working email addresses that they're going to go with. And they've sent hundreds of thousands of these. Um, And this biggest campaign to date, this Asian one, uh, they've sent like 80,000 plus of these recon emails since November of uh, 2018 or so. And from there, they uh, kind of exhibit most of the components of the cyber kill chain, uh, which everybody listening to this is probably pretty familiar with. The initial stage of it uh, does typically kick off with a traditional malware phishing email. And then various components that they use, various pieces of malware, carry out the functions of lateral movement and privilege escalation and and, uh, ultimately commanding and controlling their targets. Um, One of the notable things about how these guys do command and control is that they use DNS tunneling for some of it. This is another reason to monitor your DNS, people. This DNS PSA brought to you by... Silence group who's trying to steal your money right now. (laughs) But very quietly. That's right. At any rate, a lot of their end targeting is actually aimed at ATMs. And there's, in fact, some footage of people who are believed to be money mules working for this group getting cash out of the compromised ATMs. So lastly, Tim, for this story. So do we know who in the financial space, other than the said mentioned uh, Bangla Bank, was targeted by Silence? That would be Banks, Kelsey. The artist? <laughs> no, that's Banksy. Son of uh, I guess that seems sort of redundant with financial institutions. But what I mean by that is they don't seem to be targeting investment houses or brokerages or insurance companies or like that. They are after the people who have ATMs. I want to see that as like a LinkedIn title, like works in accounting at institution that does ATMs. <laughs> An ATM having institution. <laughs> That's the kind of people I'm interested in banking with. <laughs> that reminds me of the uh, the XKCD, you know, where he did all of the describing things in only the most common 100 words or something oh, like that. Right. You know, where the Saturn V rocket was referred to as Upgoer 5. <laughs> I love Randall. We XKCD. are big X- XKCD fans here at Randall, if you're listening. Breaking Badness. Yeah. <laughs> Great reference there, Tim. And so we're going to pop now into our hoodie ratings. And just a quick reminder, the hoodie ratings are on a scale-ish of 0 to 10. And it's just 
meant to be representative of how concerned you should be. So 10 hoodies is, um, you know. Just, oh, my God, we're going to die. Yeah, exactly. Exa- that's what yeah, you should like, be screaming around the office. We should stop making the podcast and you should stop listening to the podcast if there's a 10 hoodie event and you should go out and scream or something. Exactly. And one might be a nice little like giggle, a laugh to yourself. So somewhere between those. And we do allow for crop top hoodies, turbo, mm. um, any kind of fraction you want to use with the physical hoodie. Please feel free 500 to 500 hoodies. Yeah, the milla hoodie example. isn't accepted. Um yeah, absolutely. It doesn't need to be an integer. So, um, Turbo, I'm going to ask you first, what would you rate um, this at in terms of hoodies? So, from a global perspective, I kind of want to give them about six hoodies. Um, and not so much from where they've been over the past couple of years, but like how they've adapted over time. Like they have been, they've adapted their TTPs, they're ambitious. They did, you know, four million in damages this year. So, and they're really ramping up their activity. So they haven't hit any U.S. banks that we know of uh, so far, but they seem to be hitting smaller countries that have less sophisticated security practices in place. But that doesn't mean like there's not a massive financial impact here. Right. It's an accrual world. You don't know when they'll be here next. <laughs> Great <laughs> answer, be here all Turbo. week. <laughs> <laughs> but next week, there's a holiday. <laughs> so true, not next true, week. good point. <laughs> all right, Tim, what about you? Well, I wasn't going to go quite as high as that. I I was thinking about a four, but Turbo makes some good points here. So uh, I'm going to bring mine up to a five and say, and and part of it was the reason that that you mentioned, which is that they're ramping up. They're getting better and better. So who knows what the, you know, what they're ultimately going to get to before, ideally, they get shut down. Hopefully that happens soon. But um, uh, I think... Right now, $4 million to any of us would probably be a big deal, but uh, probably not to Turbo, actually. But to Kelsey <laughs> and me, that would probably be a big deal. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's not huge. Um, so it, I think we'll uh, wait and see if their financial impact gets bigger. It, you know, it feels weird to say that, right? Because $4 million stolen is a really bad problem. But um, We've seen uh, certainly much larger uh, heists before. So I'm going to put it at a five and, uh, and kind of watching. Um, let's see what happens from this group. So to summarize, Tim, we could say credit where credit is due. We could. Brunch. <laughs> Sad trombo. <laughs> perfect thank you well let's forget about that joke and move on to another article oh it was perfectly fine <laughs> So the next topic here is I squid you not. Multiple versions of the squid web proxy cache server were built with basic authentication features are currently vulnerable to code execution and denial of service attacks triggered by the exploitation of a heap buffer overflow security flaw. <sighs> okay. Easy we got for you that. to say. <laughs> <laughs> so Turbo, can you start by breaking down what squid is as well as this uh, associated vulnerability? Sure. So Squid's primarily used as a caching server for websites. It caches and returns uh, results in frequently requested pages, um, images, that kind of thing. It's also can be used as a, a you know proxy server, obviously. Um, but it seems primarily it is a caching server. And last week, Trend Micro did a responsible disclosure of a buffer overflow vulnerability in Squid. And this vulnerability allows either for a remote code execution or a denial of service attack. I'll kind of go into those a little bit more 
uh, later. And it specifically affects versions of Squid 4.0.23 through 4.7. And there are two services that are affected by this vulnerability. The Cache Management Report Service, which I guess is for showing reports about things that are cached, um, and the FTP service. Um, and the attack vector is through what's called basic HTTP authentication. So in Squid, there's a function called get auth, which handles authentication. Um, and it defines a buffer the size of 8,192 bytes to hold the base64 decoded credential information. Um, but what the function doesn't do is check that the decoded credential info is longer than the buffer size. So what that can lead to is a buffer overflow. So you're trying to, the user can pass in just through HTTP headers this big blob of data, and it will base64 decode it, slam it into the buffer, and go on with its way, overwriting potentially other chunks of memory, which can do one of two things. Um, if that information is carefully crafted and you know what you're doing, you know that piece of software, you could cause what's called a remote code, code execution. Um, but you don't actually have to know how that software works, you can just slam together a big piece of information, pass it in, and more than likely you're going to overwrite something important in the software in memory, and you're going to cause the proxy server to crash. Thank you, uh, Turbo, for breaking down not only the, the vulnerability itself, but some of sort of the consequences of that being exploited. That's pretty terrifying. Um, so can you provide any recommendations for servers that can't be patched? Yeah, sure. Well, first, I do want to say that Squid 4.8 has the patch in it. So for those who can upgrade, um, that's what you use. Now, if you can't upgrade, there are two options here. Um, one, the first one is you can recompile Squid to disable basic authentication. But I kind of feel if you can go through the hassle of recompiling a piece of software and installing it, you probably patch it. Um, but the second one is you can also configure Squid to prohibit access to both the cache management reports, and the FTP services. Oh, nice. Perfect, Turbo. Thank you. And in terms of scale, I know we like to, to talk about that, relatively speaking. How disastrous is this? Are there a specific number of servers that remain unpatched at this time, to our knowledge? Yeah, so this morning, I kind of went poking around Shodan to, to look into this. Um, as of this morning, Shodan reported there's 2.8 million instances of servers running Squid in general. Um, that it knows about. So for versions 4.0.23 through 4.7, Shodan showed that there's still 53,000 instances um, out there, which is still quite, it's not a lot, but it's still a fair amount. Uh, one of the interesting things I saw was most of the ver most of the instances that are out there are all 3.0 based, 3.x based. Um, like, I want to say it was like 90% of the instances are on the 3.0 line, not even 4 or 5. No oh boy. Rut row. Rut row. That squid is not very fresh. <laughs> Finally, infosec advice that can be applied to dining. Well done, Tim. <laughs> so although you mentioned this isn't a massive number of unpatched servers, relatively speaking... Have you seen any patterns and similar types of vulnerabilities in the open source realm, if you will? So I did a bit of looking around, and I, to be honest, I didn't see a bunch. Uh, Curl had one last year, and they got patched. But I will say this. Um, open source projects are especially vulnerable to buffer overflow attacks simply because the threat actors have access to the source code, 
Like you just go to Git, download it, and start looking through it. Um, a C++ project, it's pretty easy to spot places where a buffer overflow could happen. Compare this to, to where someone wants to find a buffer overflow vulnerability in some 132 binary, they have to decompile the executable and analyze the assembly output. Ah, yeah, that's a great point. And so with that in mind, let's jump into our hoodie ratings here. And Tim, I'll start with you. What would you rate this um, This uh, squid's gone wild here? Well, because of the patch being in existence, I was going to have this at like a three or something like that. But then Turbo mentioned all of those instances that are still on 3.x <laughs> of squid. Patch your proxy servers, people. Um, so I, I guess that would push me up to about a four. Um, you know, it's it's there's an easy solution to this or a relatively easy solution to this. So it's harder for me to push it to a higher hoodie rating than that, unless there were some piece of information that um, made it clear that it was going to be hard to upgrade um, a lot of these instances that are not upgraded. I suspect they're not upgraded because people just aren't paying that much attention to them and, and keeping on top of it. So I'm going to go with about a four right now. Okay. Turbo, what about yourself? I kind of went back and forth between like a four and a five on this one. Um, it's a couple of reasons. Like the install base is pretty small for the effective versions, um, as well as if you're going to do a remote uh, code execution, you have to know what you're doing. And it's hard. You have to craft this HTTP header just right to do it. Um, the flip side is like Shodan pretty much tells you which IP addresses to tack. So there's 53,000 servers out there that Shodan's telling you what to do. Um, and doing a denial of service attack isn't that hard. You send up a jacked up HTTP header to them and they're going to go down more than likely. Um, but the other thing is <laughs> proxy servers, they're just not that sexy. They're, they're often overlooked. There's these little servers that just kind of sit on a VM somewhere and route stuff through it. Um, people just don't upgrade and maintain these services. And it's obvious when you look at Shodan and you know, 90% of the, the, you know, the instances were the 3.x versions. People just don't maintain these. So you're telling me that proxy servers are always the best man, never the groom. Exactly. <laughs> so what would you rate this at then? I give it a four. <laughs> that four. sounded very four confident. Four with a little, little bark on <laughs> a the four. end. Four. A four. Like a four point three. <laughs> a four point three. Do you do you really want four point three turbo? Yes. Okay. That's my final answer. Point three better than Tim. Forty three hundred millihoodies. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's move on here to our final article, which is BEC Easy as 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, 7, 8. BEC 1, 2, 3. Wow, that was See, pretty good. that was awesome. Well done. Book it. Oregon Urban School District, Portland Public Schools, is on track to recover roughly $2.9 million wired by district employees to a BEC scammer. And this happened after discovering the fraudulent transactions before the money left the fraudsters accounts so tim as infosec is chock full of acronym soup can you brush up listeners on the concept of bec or business email compromise indeed <clears throat> sure 
So BEC is a form of spear phishing, uh, and often they are impersonating a uh, boss, um, sometimes a CEO or some kind of uh, high-level executive, and they are asking the victim to carry out some kind of a financial transfer. So typically, somebody uh, impersonating a CEO, CFO, something like that, sends an email to a lower-ranking employee that says, hey, I need you to make a wire transfer. This is urgent. Please wire this amount of money to this bank account and uh, let me know when it's done. And this preys upon a couple of different things, um, but one of them is in hierarchical organizations sometimes. Uh, you know, in, in some organizations, people are pretty much, pretty much instructed to follow instructions without questioning them. And so you can imagine if you are a few levels in the pecking order below the CEO or CFO or something, and you get a message from them saying, can you do this right now? You might feel like you better do this right now so you don't get in trouble. And so in that sense, um, it can be a pretty effective social engineering attack. And as well, some of these attackers um, do their homework and will throw in little tidbits of um, things that they got off of social media or other places to make the impersonation seem more effective. So they might refer to some event uh, that recently happened in the victim's uh, life uh, so that it indicates that they know them. Hey, how was that vacation you took last week? Can't wait to hear about it or something like that. So they'll give themselves a sense of authenticity. Um, so it just there's a wide range of BEC kinds of emails, but that's what they're typically trying to do as opposed to like a 419 scam that's saying, hey, I'm about to die and I want to leave you $4 million. You're telling me that email I received was not real? Oh, it was a real email, Kelsey. <laughs> definitely. You can check the SMTP headers and stuff. That's definitely a real email. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you for that refresher, Tim. So Turbo, mm. how, does this, uh, how does this attack type apply to what happened recently here in Portland? Yeah, so I went digging around a couple different articles, and it, the exact steps that the attackers uh, use in this scenario weren't disclosed. Um, but like Tim said, this most often starts with a very targeted spear phishing uh, email e targeting either the victim or someone the victim trusts. Uh, in this case, the attackers posed as one of the school district's construction contractors and was able to trick the school employee into authorizing a payment. And the attackers went so far as to make their bank account look like the construction company's bank account. Are you providing some constructive criticism? I am. <laughs> Perfect. And so thank you for sharing what little information we do have on this currently. And it, it seems very unusual to actually reclaim funds. So I think I gave a bit of a spoiler here introing this article. But how did they go about recovering the uh, nearly, I'm going to round up to $3 million? Well, here's where it pays to act fast. The Basically, the Portland schools were faster than the attacker here. The attacker probably uh, suffered from a case of hubris and figured they had it made. They uh, left the money in their, in their account long enough for the uh, public schools to um, flag that account and uh, get in touch with their own financial institution, and they were able to um, freeze and then reclaim the money before the fraudster could transfer it into a different account. So uh, good on them for acting quickly. All right. Well, moving on here to the hoodie rating. Um, Tim, I'm going to start with you. How many hoodies for this uh, BEC attack there on 
So, yeah, so this may seem surprising compared to these other ones, but I'm actually going to put this a little bit, not high, high, but I'm going to say it's a six. And the reason for that is twofold. First of all, BEC just keeps on working, unfortunately. Uh, you would think that by now this idea, fishing in general has been a concept for like, I don't know, 15 years or more. And certain kinds of spear phishing attacks, including business email compromise, has also been known for quite a long time, and yet people are still falling for them. So that is problematic. And also this particular angle of pretending to be the construction contractor, that was kind of clever. And um, while the archetype of this type of attack is what I mentioned, where it's somebody pretending to be the boss going after somebody who's a couple uh, layers down in the organization. It can happen in all sorts of different ways. So, you know, be especially aware of people who are in closely in your business ecosystem, their suppliers, partners, technology partners, etc. Those are um, names of organizations or even individuals that could easily form the part of a spoof of a business email compromise. So um, I'm going to say five, and I'm sort of tempted to even go higher than that, but but I'll call it a five. People should be able to detect these. And by the way, if you receive requests from somebody uh, higher than you in your organization or a partner who is asking you to make a transfer, pick up the phone and call them and ask them if they really did it or walk down the hall and you could save... $2.9 million or more in losses by simply like a, verifying that way. It's a great Geico car insurance intro there. You could save $2.9 million so in I'll just, 15 seconds. That's a good point. You know, my son, uh, hearing those ads all the time, said, well, uh, you should ask Geico if you could save 100% by spending 100 minutes on the phone with them. And I thought that's a pretty good, <laughs> that's a pretty good point. <laughs> so walk very slowly to speak with the person that emailed you, is that what we're learning here from this? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, try again. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Thank you, Tim. How about you, Turbo? So I think I'm a I'm a over hoodier here, but I kinda went with a six. Um you know, BEC, this is a try and true attack method. Um and city municipalities are easy targets, often when they have some kind of construction or high dollar project going on, it's public record. People can research this and figure out exactly who to target. But the other thing is city municipalities often don't put a lot of money towards security training infrastructure, which makes them just a prime target for this kind of attack. Yeah, I think not in a way and not with the intent of publicly shaming municipalities, but they seem to be like the fourth unofficial co-host of Breaking Badness as a story. And so I know this is a, a pattern we talk about and absolutely investing in those groups. We had a, a conversation when, we had a conversation with John Oltsik recently and he said, you know, he lives up in Boston. You don't think about whether or not you turn the heat on for your employees in the winter. Consider applying that methodology to security as well. So that's a great reminder for everybody outside of even obviously municipalities to consider that for um, how they're budgeting and, and all that jazz too. So yeah, great absolutely. point, Turbo. Perfect. Well, that wraps up our conversation for this week. Again, want to thank Turbo for being on the podcast. Love Thanks having for having you me. Here. This is awesome. So great to have you. And Tim, it's been such a pleasure working with you on Breaking Badness. I will be um, probably applying ransomware in order to uh, ensure that you're on here in the future. <laughs> when you receive that email and 
It's Be sure to click to, the link. Yeah. <laughs> we'll unencrypt data for podcast guests. <laughs> You'll know who it was from. Well, I'm going to miss working with you, too, and I uh, look forward to maybe maybe doing that guest appearance once or twice. Well, we look forward to it. Thank you all, and we'll have a special episode for you next week for the short holiday week. So until then. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>